Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, new every Thursday, podcastone.com, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, and as usual, totally free, new episodes every Thursday, be sure to subscribe, listen, download, stream, favorite, do all the things you do with the podcast, I greatly appreciate it, and appreciate you listening wherever you are in the world. Remember, visit me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Fan page on Facebook, Instagram, and of course, eddytrunk.com for all your news and info updates. And of course, Twitter, where I'm most active as far as regular social media updates. So I've got a kiss bonanza for you this week on the podcast. As usual, the interviews you are about to hear originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is called Trunk Nation and can be heard live Monday through Friday. 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, nightly replays, 10 to midnight Eastern, and full shows and interviews on demand anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to join me for the podcast. I should say, be sure to join me for the live radio show each and every day here on the podcast. You're only getting a tiny sample of what I do on a daily basis on Sirius XM, on Trunk Nation, on Volume. Also, a big welcome back to our sponsor, Goodies Hangover Powder. Goodies makes some great products, and their latest Goodies Hangover is a powerful pain reliever and a boosting ingredient as well, so you can get fast pain relief and a boost of alertness to help battle the groggy, tired feeling that comes with a hangover. Hangover relief at the speed of powder. Goodies Hangover is available at Walmart, Dollar General, Amazon, and other fine retailers. Get more information at goodiespowder.com. And soon I'll be offering you the Trunk Nation stickers once again, brought to us by our good friends at Goodies. I'll tweet out and post information on how to mail away to get one if you are so interested. Great to have Goodies back on board with us. So, Very short intro this week because two interviews, a big double dip, going to be almost two hours of content this week with two former guitar players from KISS. 
We start with Ace Freely. His new album, Origins Volume 2, is out now. And we discuss track by track the songs he recorded on Origins Volume 2 and why he chose those songs. And other stuff as well. And our second interview is with former Kiss guitarist Bruce Kulick. That was done on the 35th anniversary of the band's Asylum album, which was Bruce's first record with the band. We talk about that record and a whole lot more. You're going to love it. A double dip of former Kiss guitarists. We start with Ace Freely, Bruce Kulick second. On this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast, we'll get into it with Ace next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uniform professionals sign up to serve causes greater than themselves. If you've ever served in the military, law enforcement, firefighting, or frontline medical communities, check this out. You are eligible for free membership at GovX.com, the greatest online shopping site for Americans of service like you. And boy, do we appreciate you, especially now. Your job demands a lot from you from deployments to long shifts and the dangerous situations most people don't have the courage to face. And there's a reason why GovX believes service-minded patriots like you deserve special recognition. And man, do you ever. I've said it many, many times. You folks are the real rock stars. And GovX.com delivers the deals on all the gear you need for your on- and off-duty life. Register at GovX for instant access to discounts on epic brands like Oakley, Yeti, Garmin, Vortex Optics, Benchmade, Danner, and more. This site was built exclusively for the men and women who serve our country and communities. That's why every month GovX supports nonprofits serving the military, first responder, or law enforcement communities. We don't just thank you for your service. We honor it. So sign up. It's fast. It's easy. It's totally free. Become a member today and use Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. GovX.com, savings for those who serve. Use my last name, Trunk, T-R-U-N-K, for $15 off your first order of $50 or more. That's GovX.com. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk here. Coming up shortly, it'll be Bruce Kulick, but we start with another former Kiss guitarist, original Kiss guitarist, Ace Freely, about his new album, Origins Volume 2, and a whole lot more. As always, Ace is... Never not entertaining. Enjoy. Here he is, the one and only Space Ace, our first of two interviews with former Kiss guitarists on this week's podcast. Ace. Hey, buddy. How you doing, Eddie? I'm good. I'm good. How are you liking the... Uh, you lived on in, in Southern California for a long time. How are you liking being back on the East Coast? Uh, I'm loving every minute of it. You know, me and my girlfriend are getting like uh, pumpkins and skeletons. <laughs> We're all getting ready for Halloween. I got Monique living with me. I moved her back east. 
she's happy because she's near her mom and family and her grandmother. And, uh, you know, the trees are starting to change. We're going to be at a nice Christmas tree. I was gathering wood today because I had my friend chop down a whole bunch of trees in my forest because I got five acres here. So, uh, you know, just having a ball. I mean, I forgot how much I love the East Coast, you know. Uh, you know the West Coast, it's always sunny and, you know, it's not really seasons. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna check in with you in a couple months when you're chipping ice off your windshield to go out to get a loaf of bread, <laughs> and then I'm gonna I've ask you how you're feeling about being back now. on the I've, East Coast. I've already been through. A, I've already been through a snowstorm. I was I was here last winter. <laughs> yeah, are you an outdoorsy? You know, as for as long as I've known you, I never. Are you an outdoorsy kind of guy? Do you do you like to go out and like? Pick pumpkins and chop trees. To, do you stuff? Do you love, stuff like that? I, I love to fish. I love, you know, I, I love to fish. You know, I'm building a new recording studio here. Uh, I like to hunt. I, you know, I'm, you know, Ed Nugent invited me to go to Africa with him to go hunting. That's a little out of my league. Yeah, but I really enjoy fishing, lake fishing. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I was telling you before we were talking earlier, I'm down at the Jersey shore. I've got a small house. I've been spending the whole summer down here. I'm still here. I'm going to stay here for a, a while longer because it's really quiet and the weather's really nice, but I don't fish, but I've been thinking about going out on a boat. So when things are normal, you got to come down, you got to show me how to, how to fish. Cause I've never really done that. Uh, going out on a boat is fun, but I actually really enjoy surf casting. You know, a little seat, you know, and, uh, you know, a nice big spinner, you know, with, with about a three or four ounce weight. You know, you cast out about 100 feet. That's a lot of fun, too, you know. You don't even need a boat. But, you know, who, boats are great, too. But I get seasick once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Who got you into that? Who got you into, like, were you into fishing when you were a kid? Yeah, I've been fishing since I was a little kid. You know, I used to go down to my uncle's farm every summer when I was a kid. And, and my dad used to take me and my brother fishing. And then, of course, when I, you know, in the Bronx, I lived right near Botanical Gardens. And I used to go fishing over in Twin Lakes, uh, right next to Botanical Gardens. So I've been fishing forever. Wow. All right. You learn something new every day. So let, let's talk about Origins Volume 2, which came out on Friday. The response has been great. It's your second album of cover material. And I know that you actually have been, you, you told me this before, you had actually been sitting on this for a while. So this album, some of it you did a little while ago, but now it's finally out. How's it feel and what's the response been? The response has been overwhelming. The album was done around Christmas time. The only thing I did around the holidays was uh, change uh, the vocals on Lola from my old girlfriend to uh, Laura, my current girlfriend, who's an elementary school teacher and graphic artist and personal trainer and my soulmate. And uh, her vocals came out way better than my previous uh, girlfriend's focus so everybody's raving about lola so you did so let's let's go through this this track listing that you have here on this record 
Um, what was the criteria for you, Ace, when you decided to do a second album of cover songs? What was the criteria for the songs? Like, were these songs that you just personally love? Were there songs you had a personal connection to, a great memory to, bands you saw maybe growing up? Tell me about the track listing and how you picked which artist to cover this time around. The, the criteria for Ours is Volume 2 is exactly the same criteria as Ours is Volume 1. They're all songs that I picked from bands that influenced me as a teenager. You know, guys like Jimmy Page, Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Pete Townsend, you know, the Stones, the Beatles, they all the major influences on me as I was growing up as a teenager, learning how to play guitar. So that's what you get, you know, and there's going to be an Origins Volume 3, you know. It's just, uh, they're a lot of fun to do. And they bring back, you know, they bring me back to my teen years. I'm growing up in the Bronx, you know, slowing down the album so I could figure out the solos because they were too fast. (laughs) Is it nice to make an album and not have the pressure of having to write the songs? Like that obviously is probably a really laboring thing to have to come up with great material original. And as, as I'm sure that's fun to do. And that's what being an artist is taking when that's taken off the table and you're just taking someone else's material and putting your spin on it. I imagine it's a lot more liberating. It, it makes it a lot more fun than having to labor over the material. Well, it definitely expedites the, the recording process because I don't have to write the songs. All I have to do is pretty much put my stamp on it, you know, uh, change the soul a little. Sometimes I alter the words a little. Uh, but, you know, I, what I really try to do is have fun with it. You know, I, I'm a huge fan of Humble Pie, but I know I couldn't ever sing like Steve Marriott. So immediately, I, you know, I thought of Robin Zander, and he just killed the vocal on 30 Days in the Hole. Uh, you know, Lita Ford, you know, did an amazing vocal on Jumping Jack Flash. You know, I got Bruce Kulick, John Five, of course, played on two songs, Politician and I'm Down. And both of those came out fabulous. You know, it's just, and I got Bruce, yeah, I got Bruce Kulick's on Manic Depression. You know, it's just so much fun. And I think it cut, comes through on, uh, you know, when you listen to it. You know, I'm having fun. Yeah, Robin Zander always amazes me because I know Robin and I see him often when in normal times and it is unbelievable that whole band cheap trick, but with Robin, particularly the guy found the fountain of youth. He doesn't age physically. He looks the same and he, he also sings the same vocally. He's spot on. It's incredible. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I've known those guys since the 70s. You know our history. Chief Trick opened up probably at least 100 shows for Kiss in the 70s. And I always used to party with those guys after the show. You know, you read my book. You know the stories. And uh, they were so much fun to hang out with and and tour with. And uh, we've remained friends over the years. And it was just a pleasure working with Robin again. 
Hey, so if if we can, what I'd like to do is run down the track listing on Origins Volume 2 and just give me a word or two about each song and maybe any connection you had to the artist or the reason you did it. Maybe if you saw that artist live when you were younger or shared a stage with them or something. So starting with Good Times, Bad Times, which of course is Led Zeppelin, the thing that jumped to me jumped out at me about that is towards the end of the song, it sounds like, now I don't know how that song ends with the zeppelin version i didn't turn it way up at the end but you sort of add some stuff towards the end of that don't you vocally yeah i sent a message to some people that have done me wrong over the years and i talked about you know uh, you're gonna get yours you know (laughs) in so many words i i didn't say it that way i said you know they miscalculated my resolve. Uh, I mm. added a few lyrics, but the, the good times, bad times is such a special song for me because I saw Led Zeppelin's first New York appearance at the Fillmore East opening up for Iron Butterfly, and uh, they just completely blew blew every blew Iron Butterfly and everybody off the stage, blew everybody's mind. And after they finished performing, you know, half the audience left on the headliner. So that must have been really embarrassing for Iron Butterfly. I felt bad for them. Did any of the Zeppelin guys ever come out to see Kiss back in the 70s? Not that I remember. You know, know, I've been in clubs with Jimmy Page, but we never really hung out and talked. You know, I mean, I've hung out with Keith Richards. And I've hung out with Pete Townsend, you know, Belushi, you know, uh, but, you know, I never really got a chance to spend quality time with Jimmy Page, but hopefully in the future, I will at this juncture, since I've already recorded two of Zeppelin songs, one on Origins Volume 1 and now one on Origins Volume 2. I, I don't know if you remember this, but back in the 70s, like 76, 77, 78 when kiss was ranked the biggest band in the world with the Gallup poll and all that back in those days, there would be like magazine covers that would say stuff like kiss versus Zeppelin. Who's better. Did you, do you remember that stuff back then? Like that sort of rivalry that existed, at least in the press. Uh, I don't remember that rivalry, but I mean, obviously the Zeppelin kicks our ass hands down. I mean, (laughs) You know, musically, uh, you know, obviously, but, you know, I mean, we we were known more for the big show, you know, Zeppelin, but Zeppelin musically just not only kicked our ass, but just kicked about everybody else's ass in in those days. You know, nobody came close to Led Zeppelin. Right. I think at that time, because I have the magazine covers, whatever it was at the time, but I think it was coming from a place of more just rivalry in terms of popularity, because both bands had yeah. been so huge in the mid-70s like that. So that was it's always interesting to look back on that. So the next track on here is Never In My Life, which is a mountain song. And I think, you know, I know Leslie, and I think when it comes to most people in the U S they know Mississippi queen, but they've never really dug deeper into the mountain catalog. And when you do, there's some really great stuff in there. And I was glad that you didn't do Mississippi queen and you did, uh, you did that song because it's a different song that not everybody knows. 
It's a great riff song, and if you notice on this record, a lot of the songs are riff orientated, and you know, I, I just love songs that you know kick off with a guitar riff. Uh, you don't find that in music today anymore. You know, there's, you know, most of the music today is a, is a lot of homo- homogenized. A lot, you know, you listen to a band, you're not sure who it is. You know, back then when I was a teenager, if it was Led Zeppelin, if it was Jimi Hendrix, if it was the Beatles, if it was the Stones, you know immediately. Today, when you listen to the radio, you put it on, you know, for the first 10 seconds, you're not sure who it is because, you know, so many songs sound so similar. The production is so similar. Yeah, that's a really important thing. And that's something that I can say as a fan is one of your trademarks. When people hear a guitar solo from you, they know immediately that's Ace. And when you hear Leslie West, you know that's Leslie West. You're Jimmy Page, you know it's Jimmy Page. Having that signature style and sound uh, is a really big intangible, I think, of what makes a great guitar player. Leslie's a good friend of mine. I've been to his house, and uh, I think he's one of the most underrated guitar players of his time and era. You know, he never played fast, but whenever he played, he just knew where to place the notes. He was a blues-based guitar player and uh, used notes sparingly, but, you know, so melodically and so beautiful. I love all his solo work. He's a character, too. He's a funny guy. (laughs) He'll always make you laugh. (laughs) You can say that again. No matter what he's dealing with, the guy lost his legs, whatever's going on, he still has a sense of humor about him. He's always, I talked to him not long ago. He's always, he's always uh, got a great spirit about him. Space trucking, the deep purple tune seemed very appropriate for you to do for sure. I originally recorded that for Origins Volume 1 up in Turlock, California at the Creation Lab at my good friend Matt Swanson's studio. And uh, it just wasn't up to par at the time I recorded it. So, you know, when it came time for us and fine too, I revisited that track, redid the vocals, redid the guitar solo, tightened up the arrangement, and it worked very well this time around. Yeah, and I'm down, you did as uh, the Beatles classic, of course. Did you ever see the Beatles, Ace? Yeah, sure. At Where? the Chase Stadium. You were? You couldn't hear them, though, because there were so many girls screaming. Yeah, I'd heard <laughs> you know, that. They didn't I heard have the... huge PA. They didn't have huge PAs like they have now. Of of all the Beatles songs, and there are obviously so many great ones, why did you choose I'm Down? And I don't know if you know this, Aerosmith did that, too, on an album about 25 years ago. They did a cover of it. But why did you decide to do that particular one? Well, I I chose it because it was more of a hard rocker, you know, as the Beatles uh, progressed with their career, you know, you know, and experimented with LSD, so on and so forth. You know, their music became more, uh, you know, softer and uh, melodic and, uh, you know, but, you know, even, even Paul McCartney mentioned that, you know, that song... Uh, it was inspired by Chuck Berry. 
and little Richard. So, I mean, you know, it's a hard-edged, it's a B-side, and I can't believe it was recorded in 1965. It's a long time ago. You got Jumpin' Jack Flash on here, Stone's Tune. Uh, you did a Stone's Tune on the first Origins. Why'd you decide to do this one this time around? Well, I love the Stones, and obviously... I can sing I can sing Jagger songs because, you know, Jagger isn't a, is what I, I wouldn't consider him a virtual, virtuoso vocalist, you know, so that's why I've always been able to sing uh, Rolling Stone songs. But, you know, I thought it would be great to get Lita Ford, which would give a nice spin on Jumpin' Jack Flash and have a gal sing it. And I called up Lita. She spent the weekend at my house. I mean, I've known Lita since the Runaways. The Runaways used to open up for Kiss. So, I mean, you know, she was the logical choice. You know, she did Wild Thing with me on on Origins Volume 1. And uh, she was more than happy to accommodate uh, me with uh, Jumpin' Jack Flash. We had a blast. You know, you, like you said, you've covered the Stones before. The first time people heard you cover the Stones was in 79 on the Kiss Dynasty album when you did 2000, man. Whose idea was that at the time? Because Kiss at that point hadn't done many covers. Was I'm imagining you brought that idea into the band and said you wanted to do it? I brought the idea in, but actually I got the idea from my buddy Chris Cassone who was the uh, engineer at uh, my friend's recording studio in North White Plains. And uh, I just uh, came up with that hard-driving rhythm that the original version doesn't have, and it just seemed to work so well live, and uh, it's, it's become a classic. What was were the other guys were Gene and Paul on board with the idea? Or did you have to sell them on it to do that song on on a Kiss album? I didn't really have to sell them that much. You know, when I played them the rough demo that I did of it, you know, they said this this, this is bitching. It's, it's a great song. Uh, you you sing it well. It's got a driving uh, rhythm to it, and. Uh, the producer at the time, I forget who produced the, uh, that record with 2000. Vinnie Poncia. Was that Vinny? Yeah, Vinny loved it. Vinny, Vinny was on board immediately. I played it for Vinny first. And if there were any reservations between Paul J and Peter, I think Vinny talked them out of it. But I don't really remember exactly how everybody reacted to it. But I know Vinny fell in love with it. And everybody else went along with it. And it turned out to be a big success for me. And I performed it live numerous times. Yeah, it was in the live set. I think almost every show on that Dynasty tour is a big highlight moment for, for you singing yeah. uh, in that live show. And a, lot, and a lot of fun to do, too. Politician closes out what would be the first side of the record. I'm looking at the CD, but would be the first side. And that, of course, a cream song, needless to say, I mean, look no further than the Clapton influence, I would imagine, there, right? Yeah. That's Monique, my daughter's favorite song. And uh, John Five did an amazing solo with me on that. You know, if you listen to Cream's version, Clapton's playing two solos at the same time. And uh, I said, Matt, I said, John, we got to do the same thing. 
we actually did it in one take and uh we cross faded it during the uh solo you know four or five times if you listen to that track with headphones you know his solo goes from left to right and mine goes from right to left you know a half a dozen times it's a really cool track and a great riff and see, you know, somebody said something to me about it has political connotations. I didn't even listen to the lyrics. You know, it's more about the music for me. It always has been. Yeah, and I and the same thing. It's more of an album cut, and I, I think it's cool when you do that because you look over the of the track record. You've got songs that were big hits for some of these artists, but then also not the big signature hit. So it creates a nice balance. Maybe even turns some people on to the original versions of some of these songs. The next song on the track list is a song that's maybe one of the more popular songs in terms of airplay and well-known, and that's Lola, the Kinks tune. Of the Kinks songs that you could have done, you went with one of the bigger well-known ones there, one of their hits. What were your thoughts on that? Well, when Lola came out, it was a little controversial because, you know, if you listen to the lyrics, it's really about a transvestite. You know, but now in the year 2020, I don't think anybody cares about people's sexual preference. You know, whether you're inside the closet, outside of the closet, or standing next to the closet, it really doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Uh, plus, you know, what was really special for that song is uh, I got my girlfriend, Laura Cove, who's an elementary school teacher, graphic artist, and personal trainer to sing harmonies with me and replace uh, the vocals that my old girlfriend originally did in San Diego. And she just killed it and made the song that much better. I think it's a, I think it's a hit single. So you're probably going to do a single for that at some point, you think? I hope so. You know, if the record company agrees with me, you know. All right, next up, you got 30 Days in the Hole, which you mentioned before, Robin Zander, an unbelievable vocal, and the Humble Pie tune. Did you see Humble Pie with Steve Marriott back in the day? I saw Humble Pie perform at least a half a dozen times, and I was there both nights when they recorded Humble Pie live at the Fillmore East. Wow. Uh, but you know, in in my in my heart, in my mind, I realized I could never pull off the Steve Marriott vocal. So the first person that came to mind was uh, Robin Zander because you know he still got it. And when I called up Robin and asked him if he'd want to do a vocal, he he jumped at it, and he just killed the vocal. I, I'm really happy with the way Thirty Days in the Hole turned out. Yeah, we talked about Robin earlier. Just amazing, amazing how good he still is. Manic Depression, which, of course, is the Hendrix tune, and that's significant among KISS fans because that is a pairing of you and another former KISS guitarist, Bruce Kulick. Did you, do you have a long history with Bruce? Did you know Bruce prior to him being in KISS in the 80s? Well, I... I, I've been friends with Bruce for years, you know. Um, I ended up doing a guitar solo on that band that Bruce had with, with uh, you know, ESP with Carl Cochran and... Uh, Eric Singer. This is current drummer. Why is his name abating? Eric Singer. Eric Singer, yeah. 
Yeah, when I was living in L.A., I did a guitar solo on the ESP record. And uh, me and Bruce have been friends since then. We've done some rock and roll fantasy camps together. And we also did the Kiss Cruise several years ago together. And when Bruce found out I was doing Origins Volume 2, he expressed interest in performing a guitar track uh, with me. And since we're both Hendrix fans, I said, pick a song. And he goes, I've had manic depression. And he just killed the solo. And then me and him riff off together at the end. And you can hear the difference between his style and mine, of course. But, you know, out of all the guitar players that have replaced me, you know, uh, with Kiss, I think Bruce is by far the best guitar player. You know, he just blows Tommy Thayer off the stage. Well, I think he's without a doubt the best fit. Uh, he was the guy that could adapt to anything that it was thrown at him. I just talked to Bruce about this because he was on this show a couple weeks ago, and he, he was a guy that could uh-huh. cover your stuff and the stuff that they had done just before he joined the band with people like Vinnie Vincent and Mark St. John. I mean, he, he had to cover a lot of ground, and then, of course, he made a lot of albums with them doing as a member of the band doing his own thing. When, when Bruce was in KISS, which was much of the 80s and into the early 90s, and the whole... The whole uh, on on uh, non makeup era, did you pay much attention to that stuff? Did you see those videos? Did you hear those songs? Did you ever watch live I, I, concerts? I heard some of the stuff. I, I never went to see Kiss with, without me in the band, but but I I saw some stuff on YouTube and I've heard some tracks. And what I loved about Bruce was that you know he didn't play my solos note for note. You know he kind of made them his own. You know Tommy attempts to copy me note for note but you know he just doesn't have the swagger or the guitar style or attitude you know to really make my solos you know sound the way they're supposed to but you know bruce uh is a more confident musician i think and you know he changed some of my solos a little and made him his own and i respect him for that and then, of course, I just remembered you you shared the stage with Bruce the first time, which was the Kiss Unplugged taping, when you guys all performed together, which led to the reunion, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce is a sweetheart, you know. Uh, I've known Bruce now, you know, well over 10, 15 years, and uh, he's just a great guitar player and a great guy to, to hang out with. The next track on the the Origins Volume 2 is a song, I'll be honest, I don't know much about. It's called Kicks, and the original version is Paul Revere and the Raiders, correct? That's correct. You know, when I used to come home from school, I'd immediately put the TV on, and there was a show called Upbeat, and I forget there was another show. But Paul Revere and the Raiders ultimately were on TV all the time in the afternoon. And... You know, most of my fans, especially the younger guitar players that I influenced, that are fans of mine, probably never even heard of Paul Van the Raiders. But I always loved that guitar riff uh, in the song Kicks. And uh, above and beyond that, it uh, you know, it, it's, I think it's a really positive message for the youth of, youth of today because it's an anti-drug song. And the nice thing about that song as well is there was no guitar solo in that song. And me and my engineer, Alex Salzman, decided to do 
a short guitar solo with three-part harmony that just, you know, added something, uh, you know, gave the song another dimension and took it to a different place, you know. And uh, I'm I'm thrilled with the way it came out, and, and everybody seems to love that version. We got to get out of this place. We got to get out of this place is on there. Of course, a very, very well-known song. Tell me about that one. Well, I like that again. That there you go again. I picked that song for the riff, and you know, a lot of people have said to me, you know, that that's like an anti-war song, and you know, I never even really listened to the meaning of the lyrics. What what made me pick that song is number one, I was a fan of the animals. Number two, I could sing it, and number three, I thought that was a great riff with a great arrangement and a great hook. You know. And I never even thought of the political connotations. And speaking of great riffs, now on Origins Volume 1, you covered your own material on, on a song or two. I know you did Cold Gin. I don't have a, the track listing in front of me. But this time around, you did cover one of your own songs with Kiss, well, one of the songs at least recorded when you were in the band, and that's She. Yeah, I didn't which, write it. Uh, right, but but meaning your your own song at the, your era of the band, and she is it yeah. closes out the record, and that's significant because that's the one song you did with your current touring band, right? Well, the beauty of doing she was uh, it allowed me to showcase my touring band because those guys did the vocals. You know, I laid down the rhythm track and stuff, and uh, I think. Uh, I'm not sure if I played bass on it or Alex did. Well, you know, we did a tight version of it, and I, and I threw down a solo, and then, of course, Jeremy, you know, doubled the solo, you know, with octaves and stuff like we did live, which takes the song to another level. But I'm really thrilled with the harmonies that they did. I think they killed the vocals on that take. Yeah, your and live it just band rounds is... out the, the album really nicely, and you know the the record company was very happy with the bonus track. Yeah, yeah, and your live band, your current live band is killer. For people who haven't seen it, those guys are great, and they're all big fans, and they they do such justice to the material. Now, now that's the track listing on the record. One other thing I want to ask you about the record, and I'll hit you with a couple other quick things. I'll let you go. The 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 I'm I have this on CD, which is still my favorite format. And I got to tell you, it kind of reminds me of back in the day when I was a kid and would get a Kiss record. The first thing I would do beyond (laughs) listening to it was check out the packaging because the packaging was always so cool. There was stuff in it. There was a poster, tattoos, a love gun, whatever. It was a big deal. I got to tell you, the packaging on this, even for the CD version, which I have, is fantastic. The artwork artwork is so cool. Inside, you got a nice pullout with nice liner notes. Uh, Julian Gill wrote those. All the information about the tracks. And then a really cool poster of you now, but also little little uh, photos or drawings of you in makeup with Kiss shooting the rockets. I know you've always been into graphics and art and things like that. Were you heavily involved in all this? I actually, I wasn't heavily involved in the packaging, but, you know, my record label, E1, uh, I just re-signed with them a few months ago for another three records, which is going to be another studio record or an Origins Volume 3 and probably another studio album. But, you know, we have history now, 
They know they can count on me. They know I deliver. So they go, you know, they go the extra mile and, and they pull out all the stops when it comes to packaging because they know that's going to make the difference between, you know, the album selling X amount or selling, you know, a lot more because, of, you know, they're great marketers. You know, Ken Gullick is vice president of marketing and good dear friend of mine, uh, and he was partially uh, involved in getting me signed to E1. And uh, it's funny, you know, he told me when they first signed me for uh, E1, a lot of people said to him, you're never even going to get the album finished, you know, because Paul and Gene had trashed my name so badly in the business, you know you know, with drugs and alcohol and everything, you know, but I just celebrated 14 years sober and, uh, you know, I've, I've done very well with E1 and all the albums I, I've uh, given to them, they've loved and uh, we have a great relationship. And like I said, they pulled out all the stops on the packaging and went the extra mile and spent the extra money to do, you know, what a lot of other labels wouldn't normally do. Yeah, it's really cool. The poster is the the, the graphics on the poster are so cool that there's like Madison Square Garden behind you, and then the different eras of you in the classic Kiss costume, and then the current shot in front. And it's just it's just really like as a as somebody that still loves getting music in physical form and not streaming it and all that. I appreciate when you get a little something extra in the CD that makes it worthwhile. Uh, you know, owning physically. And I think it's just really well done. And I know Ken, so I'm not surprised he did, you know, being such a fan, he didn't, he put that extra effort into the packaging. Well, Ken really gets involved in the marketing end. And, uh, you know, uh, I know he had a lot to do with the video for space trucking and all those little kissisms, you know, curly and uh, all, <laughs> all, all the right. silly stuff, you know, he made sure that was in there. I didn't really have that much input on that, but you know, Ken is such a fan of Kiss and myself. Uh, you know, he, he just goes the extra mile and and makes sure all these cute little things that you know Kiss fans and Ace fans are familiar with will pick up on. Hey, where are you at with the next record of original material? You, have you started work on it? What's the status of that? I've written three or four songs, and I'm in the process of uh, building a new recording studio in my basement, which should be done within about four weeks. And I'm going to start tracking my next studio record. You know, but because of the pandemic, it, it's not going to be released for at least another twelve months. So uh, it gives me plenty of time to do a great record, and I got a lot of people sending me song ideas. Uh, and my girlfriend, Laura, is actually a great lyricist as well, so uh, and and singer. So uh, I think it's I think the next studio record is going to be uh, you know top notch. You know, I was thinking this the other day too. You're the only person that's still alive that was ever in Kiss 
that still makes new music and puts out new records on a regular basis. If you think about it, Gene or Paul haven't done a record in years and don't really show any interest in doing it. Bruce plays predominantly in grand funk. It's been a while since he's made a record of, of material and put it out. I mean, the other guys, you just don't know what's, you know, what's going on. You're, you're the only guy. I mean, Peter's pretty much retired. So, so that's, that's pretty amazing when you think about it, not only how, how long you've been doing it, but the fact that let's be honest, you were the guy painted as the, 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 the irresponsible one, the one who could, who didn't have the work ethic. You hear that all the time. Ace didn't have the work (laughs) ethic, but when it comes to creating music, you've been the most consistent by far in releasing records. Well, you know, I I will admit that I am lazy, but when it comes time to work, you know, I have tunnel vision and I put 110% into it, you know. Sometimes, you know, I won't pick up a guitar for a week or two, but when I pick up a guitar, you know, I may write three songs, you know, over the weekend. You know, I don't believe in forcing anything. I think things have to happen spontaneously. And it's the same way I write guitar solos and it's the same way I write lyrics and I come up with a finished product. You know, it's got to be spontaneous. It's got to be from the heart. And I think that comes through on the, on the records and, you know, especially on vinyl. Now it comes on through the grooves. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, I only got a few minutes left, and then I, I'll, I'll let you let you go. What are what is your relationship like these days with Gene and Paul? Where, have you had dialogue with them? Is there you know their tour was suspended because of the pandemic? I touch with those guys from time to time. Gene Gene buzzed me, uh, gave me a phone call a couple of weeks ago, actually, and I still haven't gotten back to him. You know, I've been so preoccupied with moving and unpacking and you know, designing and, you know, I'm the architect for this new studio. So, uh, I've been pretty jammed up, but I will get back to Gene. You know, I speak to Paul from time to time. I speak to Gigi and Peter, uh, you know, so we're all friends, you know, it's a shame that the press makes out, makes it out that we all hate each other, but, you know, you know, after, you know, what we created and what we have accomplished, you know, over the last 40 years, you know, and me and Peter, Paul and Gene being the founding members of KISS, you know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be friends and uh, let bygones be bygones. Is there any side of you that still hopes to play with them again one day in any capacity? I think it's a possibility, you know, but... They'd have to, you know, reach deep into their pockets. Well, you've <laughs> always been honest about that. For free, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> right. And look, you know, people. some people bristle when you say things like that. But the bottom line is nobody speaks to business more than those two. So you're just being honest. I mean, I think that's being brutally honest about your position on it. And, and I, you know, fans like to think that that doesn't come into play. But we all know that's the truth. Well, you know, I'm not going to say I'm doing this. Be- I mean, I, I, I'm doing it because I love it, but, you know, I also love the money, and I also love my Jaguar and my new Escalade and my new house. Uh, and I have all those things because of the music business and my fans. 
you know. But, you know, I give my fans 110% and, and, and they give me 110%. So, you know, it works both ways. But Paul and Gene absolutely, you know, have admitted numerous times they're in it for the money. Right. That's why I say it's not more so than the music. Right. That's why I say (laughs) it's not a big deal for you to say that because they it's nothing that that hasn't been said before. It's I'm not going to get up there for free. And uh, I don't think any of my fans would expect me to. But I think my fans would love to see me up there. Hey, last thing. There's a there's a Kiss documentary apparently in the works. Did you take part in it or not? I know that I had called you a couple of times because the producer was on me. Apparently, it's coming out soon. What, did you were you involved or not? They offered me a small fee to be involved with it, and I turned them down. You know, I thought the fee was embarrassing uh, because I know. Uh, how much money they're going to make on it. So, you know, either share the wealth or uh, say la vie. So I decided not to be involved. But, you know, they have plenty of old footage of me, and they'll probably use that and get by. But it won't be the same as if they get current footage. But, you know, unfortunately, I decided, you know, the money that they offered me wasn't uh, anywhere near what I felt I deserved. So I turned it down and, uh, the footage you're going to see of me in this, uh, documentary is only going to be old footage. And if there was, would you be, would you like to see a biopic done on kiss? I mean, there was one on queen. There's one on Elton John. You would think kiss would be the prime target for a biopic. I'm sure Gene and Paul are already pitching it. Would you like to see one done? And if so, who do you think should play you? Well, I'm really, I'm not even thinking about a Kiss movie. I'm thinking about an Ace Frehley movie because I think I'm the most interesting member of the four founding members. And I have the best stories and the most interesting life. Growing up in the Bronx, you know, poor, you know, lower middle class, you know, living in a one-bedroom apartment, you know. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm in one of the biggest rock groups in the world. So, I mean, that's a huge success story. So, you know, I've already been pitching to E1, my record label, who also has a, a division for movies. They put out films. And I was talking to the president of E1. Plus, I was also talking to the president of Hasbro because Hasbro just acquired E1. You know, they did all the... Uh, what are the movies? The, uh, what are the movies that the Hasbro did? The, uh, I don't know. I thought Hasbro was a toy company. Come on, what? You know the movies, Transformers. Oh Hasbro. yeah, I don't know any of that stuff. Yeah, they made billions off those films. Hasbro has billions of dollars. So Hasbro has a quietly one, and I did a Zoom call. And I told those guys, hey, I, you know, we got to do an Ace Frehley movie and let's get Scorsese to direct it because he grew up in the Bronx and he would get it better than any other director. So uh, I planted the seed. We'll see what happens, you know, maybe in a couple of years, you know, the Ace Frehley story. I'm not concerned with the Kiss story. Everybody knows the Kiss story. You know, Paul and Jane have... Uh, 
how many documentaries have we done? Great to catch up with you. Thank you for the time. Everybody check out Origins Volume 2. It's out now. And enjoy your pumpkin picking. I'll see you soon, okay? Thank you, my brother. I'll be in touch, and, you know, we got to go fishing. <laughs> fishing or pumpkin picking, either one. We'll figure it out. <laughs> I right, say hi to the family, all right? All right, you too. I'll see you soon, all right? Okay, brother. Bye-bye, and Bye. thanks to the fans for supporting me. My thanks to Ace Freely. Coming up next, we'll check in with Bruce Kulick on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, sports fans, Adam Carolla here. I want to tell you about my new daily sports show, All Balls, All Sports. Join me and my co-host, comedian sports expert Jeff Cesario, five days a week as we get into the daily news from the world of sports and gambling. From NFL and NBA game action to off-the-field shenanigans, there's no sports topic too hot for All Balls, All Sports. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts and find us at podcastone.com. Welcome back. It's Eddie Trunk. Next up, another former Kiss guitarist, Bruce Kulick. This interview took place on what was the 35th anniversary of Bruce's first album with the band Asylum. So this interview was conducted a couple weeks ago. We talk about Asylum and that period of Kiss back in 1985 in detail. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here's Bruce Kulick. Bruce, welcome. Thank you for the time. And before we get into Asylum, this is the first time that I'm speaking to you uh, publicly since the passing of your brother, Bob. So my condolences once again. And how have you and the family been holding up? Yeah, thanks a lot, Eddie. And uh, thanks for the condolences. Well, I got to be honest, it was it was really hard in the beginning. It was such a shock. And it was emotionally and physically painful. Uh, I'm a very, uh, I don't know, it could be because I play guitar, so a lot of emotions are tied to my fingers and hands and things, and I, I just, and obviously there was so much to do, because I was, I had to, you know, basically deal with um, going to his home and, and, and dealing with it, everything that happens when a loved one passes, but um, I just was such, uh, so overwhelmed with, with sadness and, and difficulty, and it was Really, uh, I, everyone gave me space, which is what I need. And I went dark on the internet for a month, you know, because uh, I was just overwhelmed both uh, with everything that had to be done and then just the emotional turmoil for it. Fortunately, you know, I have my wife, Lisa, who's always supportive. And the fans, you know, those times that I did make a, a statement and explain a little bit like, all right, there's not going to be a uh, memorial yet and things like that. The reaction, though, has been uh, so supportive, and, and, and they showed so much love for Bob, which is very ironic that I think he's gotten uh, more more uh, kind of uh, that, that um, adoring factor from the fans than he maybe ever knew existed, and uh, the outpouring was tremendous. So it certainly made me feel better that they were so, so um, you know, they're really going to miss him, and they really do want to celebrate everything that he accomplished which is my goal moving forward from this loss so um it was tough times though on top of a very hard year you know that for everybody in the music industry 
Yeah, no doubt. It really was. And the whole year has just been, uh, I, I can't remember a year like this in my lifetime uh, on so many levels, on so many different right. things going on from artists we've lost to the pandemic to yep. the unrest that's going on to everything. I mean, yep. it just seems to be one thing after another. And the good news is we're in September. So hoping a new year brings some change on a lot of fronts because it's just been uh, absolutely brutal. And of course, we want to get everybody back out there doing shows and i'm sure you're itching to get back out with grand funk and all the things that you do yeah and 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 you know as well as i do speaking this week nobody really knows exactly what how or when so uh that's why what i like to do which is what you heard from me i'm my own publicist too i was kind of like wow i i couldn't wait i mean i have some very very dear friends who are big kiss fans who who give me lots of information and tips and, and things about Kiss, you know, because let's face it, it's just one of those groups that if you're into it, you might know so many details and everything. And knowing that, um, I knew probably about six months ago that a big anniversary was coming up with the release of the Asylum LP, uh, this, you know, September 16th. So, uh, I, I always have to think at least a week ahead and think about, well, how do I want to talk about this online? Who would I like to speak to? Hence me reaching out to you. And these anniversaries, this is, the, my silver lining to a very uh, bad year, okay, is is celebrating the things that I've accomplished, uh, um, reaching out to my fans, and I, you know, I've never been the trash talker or the critical guy. Anyway, I've always tried to keep, take the high road about everything. But when it comes to my kiss years, why would I in any way be negative? Obviously, I want to tell the truth and share certain things the way I saw it. But but this this album's gotten a tremendous amount of love and respect. Um, and, and it was interesting to hear your take on it. So it's time to, to everybody do something positive, like enjoy a, an anniversary, a real anniversary, not the 32nd or the, you know, the 19th. Right, you know, right, and, right. That's always you know, been my thing. Anniversary. Yeah, I, I like to talk about things when they're landmark anniversaries. And 35 exactly. years is really uh, interesting. And I'm glad you called it to my attention because so many records that I love, they don't feel that old. And then when the, you realize, yep. like, where the hell did the time go? So so let's, exactly. ju- let's jump in on this, Bruce, with the time that we have because – it, obviously a really pivotal record for you in your career you you for people that don't know the 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 timeline you had started playing live with kiss the previous tour for the animalized tour i saw many of those shows at that time mark st john was uh, injured couldn't perform you were sort of like a fill-in right. guy ultimately getting the job but before we get to asylum let me let me just ask you um your your first experience with Kiss is Animalize and is doing that tour. And what was that situation like for you to be doing it sort of as a temporary guy? People went to the shows. They weren't sure who they were going to see, although after a while people figured out that Mark really wasn't playing. I, did Mark ever actually play a show? Did he play one show? I don't remember what yeah, the, the timeline is. What what went on yeah, there? Let me, I, I seem to have the most accurate timeline, although... Uh, it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, it just so happened that, uh, I think if I give it to you chronologically, it would be easier to lay it out. So there I am in the summer of 84 doing what my brother is very famous for ghost guitar work for, for kiss. All of a sudden it's Paul that reaches out to me. I have no clue what's going on, why I'm called in, but he just asked me to bring a guitar with a Floyd Rose on it. Cause I was very popular then. 
And I did the job, as, as everyone knows. Uh, no, no credit on Animal Eyes, but I played on Lonely as the Hunter and a little bit at the end of Murder in High Heels, okay? But right before I leave, Eddie, Paul looks at me. My hair was about shoulder length. I, I, you know, I, I'm not saying I was like, you know, really, you know, crazy rocker looking guy, but it was still, it's not like I looked like an accountant. But he says, by the way, don't cut your hair. And he didn't say why. And I looked at him, I'm like, okay, I'm no clue. And I didn't really know why Mark wasn't there, except I got this sense that they didn't always love what he was playing. And I knew they used to use other players like my brother. So then within like, I don't know if it was six weeks or, or, or around then. And I get a call from the KISS management saying, can you fill in for Mark St. John and go to Europe? The tour is starting at the end of September. Um, and, uh, I said, of course. And they said it might be for two weeks. It might be for four weeks or six weeks rather if it's the entire tour. And I'm like, I'm down, you know? So then I'm rehearsing with the guys. There's more to that story. That's for another time. And then I'm off in Europe. Uh, the two weeks turned into the full tour, Eddie, you know that. Okay. Um, Mark wasn't, he, he was improving, but not to the point where they could fly him to Europe and then insert him into the tour. So, I'm definitely, you know, fitting in. I remember a comment, Gene would be like, well, oh, Bruce, you know, great job tonight, or, you know, love your vibrato. And, and I'm feeling it, you know what I mean? And I was, like, getting comfortable. Now we're back in America, and they're really riding high. You remember Heavens on Fire was a big hit? You remember that, sure. right? And the, to- and the tour was really setting up really good. And for whatever reason, and I could never really be sure I already knew that I deserved the gig or should get the gig or will get the gig, but I also knew Jim and Paul well enough that it was up to them. You know, I, there was nothing I would say or do other than do, shut up and do my job, you know, and play the best I could. And they wanted to give Mark a shot, maybe contractually, maybe just because, wow, this is not going to look good if all of a sudden the guy on the new record, it doesn't even, you know, you get what I'm saying. So Mark is touring with us. He comes out on tour, and within that first, his his kind of instructions are watch the show, learn the set, and we're going to start inserting you. And I remember him doing the first half of a show. This was kind of when we were on the East Coast. Then second half of the show, and then a full show. Okay, now how odd is that? Two different guitar players playing with Kiss. So, so just, okay. yeah, you know, that's always been a question of mine. Because I know he did one full show, but I yes. had heard that he did a half. So there were actually two times where he yes. played one half and you did yes. the other half? Yeah. That's that unbelievable. Weird? That is I know, incredible. I know. But they didn't want to try him out completely, but they realized, all right, you just go up to the drum solo, wherever the break was, Eddie, and then, and then I came in. So I was ready to go, or what if something happened? You know what I mean? It's like tag team uh, wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There you go. So anyway, um, after the full show, that was it. And I watched it because I was also dressed just in case, you know, I'm ready to go. And I saw Mark play well, but I didn't think he had the tone. He preferred this, this other amp, like a boogie amp. Uh, and I didn't think it sounded right or what I think they were used to hearing. And then Mark was trying to do some exciting things on stage, which I don't think Gene and Paul were number one expecting and number two appreciated, if you get what I mean. And you know, it's pretty easy to read their faces, especially when you've worked with them already. 
So that was it. They, they sent them home. I know Mark, it was awkward. But by the way, all during that time when we were touring together, we used to jam backstage. We had very pleasant banter. I mean, at times I used to make a joke years later talking about it. I mean, I could have turned it into the Nancy Carrington. What was it? What was the name of the hockey star? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah, Tanya Harding. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, or him. You know, sabotage me. You know what I mean? Think of it. I mean, yeah. our career, the future of our music careers are in the balance right now. How unusual is that? Okay. But anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on animalized. Yes. My, the gig was mine already. I had a contract December 7th. Okay. And if you're really New Year Kiss Fact, I think animalized concert was the 8th. You see what I mean? When we filmed it. Yeah. In Detroit, you get what I mean. Yeah, they wanted to wrap that up before that. Yeah, because they knew they had, they needed a commitment. They needed the new guy. So now I'm the new guy in the band. Okay, uh, but the rest of that tour. Now everybody's got to know that's listening to this. It's 1984. There's no internet. There's no. How do you get the word out unless you put it out on local news that the guitar player is not Mark St. John or even Ace Frehley or Vinnie Vincent for that matter? You know what I mean. So I was kind of that mystery guy. I've had so many fans through the years tell me, like, I saw you on Animals. Me and my buddy, we didn't know who it was. You know, we, we knew it wasn't Ace, but we weren't sure if it was Mark. Or we couldn't tell, right. you know, but it was great. You know, that kind of thing. How funny was that? Which is why, as you started out talking about Asylum, this that album was so important to me because there was going to be no more confusion about who is the lead guitar player in Kiss. I would be... My face is on the cover. Uh, you know, I'm playing all the guitars. I have three co-writes. I'm the new guy in the band, even though I was with them for the majority of, uh, to the, except for the dates I just discussed with you, uh, for the entire Animalized tour. Yeah, you know, what's interesting, when I look at the, the lineage and when they arrived at you as the guitar player, my take on that is... The the time of the early 80s was so dominated by the hotshot, super flashy shred guitar players. Everybody wanted their Eddie Van Halen. And Kiss, yep. the, 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 the irony of that to me is that Kiss took swings at that. And we all know that style of playing yep. does not suit Kiss's music, especially the no, older I agree. stuff. But they took swings at it with Vinny and then with Mark. Yep. And yep. then sort of didn't like what they were doing, even though those guys, in my opinion, were doing exactly what they probably got hired for. Yep. But they didn't yep. really realize that it was just this sort of clashing of, well, well we need a, a guitar hero guy like that. But that style isn't really what Kiss is. And I think, Bruce, when you came in, and I, I, I've certainly felt this way, I'm like, okay, here's a guy that gets it. You know the history of Kiss. You're, you're honoring the stuff that Ace did and the stuff that came before you in a respectful way. You're not shredding all over it. And at the same token, you know, you're your own guy with the newer stuff. So I, to me, beyond the long personal history with them that you had, I think what culminated with Animal Eyes was, in my view as a fan, Kiss really found their footing again because Animal Eyes was a, a, a heavier record where, where they, and, and, and the guitar was more shreddy. When you got to Asylum, to me, it was the balance of those things. It was what Kiss yes. always was, more of a rock and yep. roll vibe, still some sure. heavy moments, but and right yep. down to your playing, your style of playing was a, a, a cross-section of what was needed at that time. So that's why I feel so strongly about the record because I thought that from a musical sense... It was Kiss finally sort of finding their footing in the 80s. 
Yes. And I, and, and well, I'm really proud of course that, uh, I had that opportunity and they still really pushed me though. You know, that there's still this flashy stuff there that I'm like, Oh my God. You know what I mean? There's certain solos that really were still, those guys were always kind of trying to have me play. I, I'll never forget the call when, uh, when they knew they were sending Mark home, Paul called me, of course, this is on tour. So he's calling my hotel room and, and he's like, you got the gig. You know, we, you know, we, we know what you can do. And I have to tell you, be, we, we want you to be competitive. We want you to do all the uh, styles, you know, all the, you know, be very, very varied. You know, we want you to play flashy. We want you to play, but you get what I'm saying. It was really important that I had to be a versatile player for them. Okay. So, um, and, and I, you know, I have to say, in addition to that, which is connected to what you were just saying, you know, that the, um, in my opinion, Mark, I know why they went with him. They were, they asked Grover Jackson, you know, that, how that guy is, you know, the Jackson, the, guitars. The, the Jackson guitars. Yeah. Who, who, you know, and, and if you played a Jackson guitar, you were probably one of those, you described them as like a metal shredder type, right? Uh, you know, speed player. Right. And, and, you know, Vinny played the Jacksons and, and, and they got that, they got Mark's name from him. They didn't, they didn't go to uh, a, a different kind of list, like a New York players or whatever. They wanted some hotshot California guy that did the flashy thing. And, and I remember seeing when they announced that Mark St. John got the gig and there was an article and uh, it was actually in Kerrang and Mark was on like page 24, full page, you know, new guitar player kiss. Cause you know how important that is. Right. And I just looked at it and it talked a little bit about him, mentioned his uh, references, you know, who he uh, admired and mentions Alan Holdsworth, who I love Alan Holdsworth, but I also know I can't play like that. And that's not Kiss. You know, I mean, it's just like, you know, that Steve, I would be wrong in Kiss. You know what I'm totally. saying? Yes. Even though he worked in David Lee Roth, but he played the rock part of what he does. But the truth is I just read Mark's um, bio or whatever. And my head is shaking left and right. And it was like, I, I swear to you, I had a light bulb moment. I said, this is the wrong guy for this band. This is, this guy should not be in Kiss. Kiss is about what you were saying. You know, if you can't do, you know, and have a feel and play a Love Gun or a Detroit Rock City and just stick it in that kind of like meat and potatoes garage band rock and roll, you're the wrong guy for the group, you know? And I, I always had one foot everywhere, I felt. I've, I've always felt, why could I play with grand funk for 20 years if i wasn't versatile you know what i mean uh a shred guitar player wouldn't fit in that so it was meant to be i was very fortunate and of course my attitude was so grateful to have that opportunity can you imagine i went from really basically not sure what my next gig was even though i had a a, a pretty decent resume before that you know the billy squire record i don't have to remind you of that tale of the tape that you love and meatloaf and 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 blackjack with michael bolton and even for long island the good rats for a couple of years you know but how can how can you say that you're not going to be on cloud nine to be the new guitar player of kiss and there i am in electric lady studios plugging in and recording uh music and even some songs that i co-wrote three songs you know it was just a dream come true yeah i would imagine it would be so, Bruce, take us into Electric Lady Studio making this record because 
it was it's credited to being produced by both Paul and Gene and engineered by Dave Whitman, who had a long history even at that point with Kiss. Yeah. But um, yeah, he did. the the storyline that came out of this, at least for the fans too, people were starting to see, was this was when Gene was sort of drifting a little bit and Paul really took the reins of the band because Gene was starting to be interested in Hollywood and start doing some acting and all that. So here you are, technically the new guy in the band. What was the vibe like in the studio given that backdrop? Well, there's no doubt that uh, Gene had his sights on Hollywood. And, and obviously, uh, Gene being a, a very uh, astute businessman, he was, you know, uh, I, I have to admit, a lot of attention was going that way, and Paul wasn't going to lose sight of the, uh, the band, okay? So, but, but there, you know, when you're in the studio, it's not as if, you know, Gene was like completely, you know, missing in action and, and not involved or not contributing songs, but uh, th- there is that criticism that is focused towards the band. Um, it might not have been quite as laser-focused as Paul Stanley. But that was already happening from Animalize, apparently. So Paul was already set for the, you know, like, this is the way it's going to be, and we're going to get this done. But I ping-ponged between the two of them. Uh, apparently, there is a song that both their names are on, and we can get to the tracks later. But the point is, usually, Gene writes his songs, Paul writes his songs. You, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And they pick, they pick what they both uh, like or can deal with from each other. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it that way. You know what I mean? They, they compromise in a way, but um, certainly, uh, uh, my experience at Electric Lady, all right, number one, I'm a Jimi Hendrix fan. He's my favorite guitarist. So even though, you know, Hendrix didn't realize quite the dream of working in that place, he built it, okay, and his vibe was there. So that was a real thrill for me. And, and Greenwich Village meant a lot for me growing up in New York. You know that. I mean, all that's like a big, big deal. So uh, I was thrilled to go every day to the studio, even though I had been there before. But I really did did love, you know, the fact that I could, you know, be in that studio day after day. Now, you know, a band like Kiss is going to do the lockout. So now you're working and you're working and you're working. And and my biggest takeaway from recording that record, because I do know it was during the summer, only because I remember on July 4th, I still was working. And, um, you know, Gene would never take a day off. Paul would like maybe the weekends off. I, I was in that studio 21 days in a row. I remember that. And in a way, I joked about it in my mind. I didn't really mind because why am I going to complain? I'm, I, I just walked into this amazing opportunity of lead guitar player of Kiss. And But you get what I'm saying that, yeah, the days that Gene worked with me, Paul might not have been there. You see, so I got ping pong between the two. And you know, for Eric Carr, once the drums are done, if he wants to be there or not, he doesn't have to. Right. Except if they're going to do some background vocals. So I worked my ass off with, with the songs and I did feel very much. My goal was purely to make sure they both were really happy with the solos. Uh, they constantly challenged me and I was up for it. And that's why actually now when I listen to a few of the solos, especially the faster songs, I'm kind of like, Oh, Oh my God. I don't even know how I played that. You get what I'm saying. But then again, you know, look how many years have gone by, you know, and I can't expect like an athlete that I can, you, you know what I mean, have the same batting average, you know, when I'm in my 60s compared to when I'm, you know, 30. Okay. So it's, it's, it's quite humbling. I got to be honest. It's, it's totally humbling for me to hear it. And then there'll be a solo like Tears of Falling that I remember so clearly 
working out with Paul, especially the harmony parts, how it starts. And that solo being something that, you know, has just been so important to my career. So there's so many amazing things. How about just the record starts off with, with King of the Mountain, which is a really huge song for the Kiss fans of the non-makeup era. You know that. There's just something that is right about it for the Kiss. And, in the, in, you know, the, the lyrically, then to start out with the thunderous drums from Eric, and then it just is real catchy. Me working with Desmond Child, I knew that Desmond wrote Heaven's on Fire with Paul. I knew what he was capable of. And that was even maybe before his his superstardom co-writing with Bon Jovi, you know, but I knew that Desmond was a force that like, wow, this is amazing. I'm going to write with Desmond Child. And that was, you know, what a thrill for me. So everything about the time in New York doing that record was always, uh, it was really a big, a big milestone for me in my life. Really, really big. King, King of the Mountain, great opening track. A song, I, I mean, I saw so many shows on that tour. I remember I actually saw you the, you guys do it live once. I was thrilled it was in the set once. It was not mm-hmm. a regular in the set, but it was a great song. It's a great opening track on the record. And, I mean, I loved Eric so much, and I know you yeah. did and so many others did as well. I thought it was great he had that sort of that opening piece on there. Uh, I want to, um, you know, before, because time's going so quick here, I want to ask you, about the songs now you mentioned you had three co-writes on this record so mm-hmm. so give me a minute or two on the songs you had a hand in writing starting sure. with king of the mountain king of the mountain which is credited to you paul and desmond child what were your right. recollections about that one coming together well i remember you know just having the opportunity to write with these guys was brand new for me you gotta remember i was just a touring guitar player so i just kind of put together some ideas that I thought would be good for Paul or Gene. I didn't exactly know what their writing process was, and they are very different, both of them. But fortunately, I had a what I felt was like a good verse vibe with, with these chords in A that would um, maybe entice Paul, and that's exactly what it did. And I remember we wrote it in his apartment. Uh, my contribution was largely the verse chords and everything, and then I remember Paul having the moving guitar lines of the chorus and I'm sure you know Desmond was very helpful with certain lyric and melody things but I have to give Paul a lot of credit for the once we got in the studio and fooled around with the the drum guitar break kind of thing that was really really interesting for that song so um, again working with Desmond was great moving on to the trial by fire which would be the next one that appears on the record in order uh, I did the demo for that on my four track which I still have, you know, which is really exciting. I had to have it repaired. But anyway, I, I just had some cool chords that I thought was kind of, in my mind, uh, vibe, uh, ACDC vibe, and I uh, played it to Gene, and he was like, I can work with this. So give, me, give me a hand, you know, give me a little bit of time. His first demo, and this is kind of a cool scoop for everybody to hear, he was actually calling it Live Fast, Die Young. Hmm. And I don't know why he change that because you know gene always carries around a book of uh titles and ideas and things like if he hears something read something create something out of out of nowhere it's in his book okay so live fast die young you know trial by fire you know it's the same thing okay uh and eventually he wound up turning it into trial by fire and uh what i really liked about that one is like wow gene actually i didn't have a melody 
we didn't touch anything about the chords or the arrangement that I handed them. That was what I wrote on my four track with a bass and a, just a, a, a backing drum track. And that became trial by far, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Let me, and let then, me jump before you go to the last yep. one. Let me just jump in on that because trial by fire <laughs> to me is a perfect example of a song. When I mentioned earlier, the, the, the thing where kiss sort of finding their, their comfort zone between the metal and rock worlds Right. To me, because to me, there were times Kiss was a metal band, certainly Creatures of the Night, it would be a, yep. more of a metal record. There were times where Kiss was a rock and roll band. There were times where Kiss was a hard rock band, a pop band, a disco band. There's all of that stuff in the catalog. But the comfort zone, the real, the real natural space to me was always that sort of straight up hard rock. And to me, Trial by Fire has a great hook and it personified it on that record and i thought that yep. it was probably the best gene song in a while too it was just hooky cool. it was rock and roll it had a great feel to it it had a classic kiss vibe to it for 1985 which you know yeah. I, I don't think they had really had on a song prior to that for a while well thank you that makes me feel good about it but but there's another angle there check it out remember we were talking about there's still a lot of flashy guitar playing on asylum and there's some you know, melodic playing, which is what I'm most proud of, like Tears of Falling and things like that. But let's be honest, there's no guitar solo in the song. At the very end, I start fooling around with some rhythmic movement. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Well, you the made up for it. You made up for yeah. it on the on the third one, I'm Alive, which you had a hand yeah. in writing, because that, yeah, that yeah, was exactly. that showcase for you. And and I think, now correct me if I'm wrong, was that, was that one knocking around for a little bit beforehand because that's credited to to you paul and desmond what was Mm -hmm. the what was the history of that song i remember i knew they liked the fast stuff because there i was on tour doing young and wasted and other other you know up tempo and by the way let's face it animalized live were we not playing a little too fast oh my god what the hell was going on i know i'm like please all right it's not that hard when you're that age but i didn't i didn't even understand understand what that was about hey well real quick real quick i gotta tell you this i saw like i saw um i I was watching the 77 kiss show on youtube Uh a night or so ago and then i'm done watching it and then it took me to a show in germany of you guys on the crazy nights tour which is a whole nother thing but it's an hour set you're opening for someone doro introduces you and all everyone was like shot out of a cannon. Like everyone's like sprinting yeah. back and forth on the stage yeah. and playing at warp speed. And I was like, "Wow, that's yeah. right. This that's how that you guys used to do it back yeah. then. It was crazy." Yeah, I'm glad we slowed it down a little later on. By the time we got to a live three, certainly. But yeah, everything was a little too fast there. Well, yeah. I had this, you know that main theme that, with the chords that are moving rather quick. And again, I, I was able to like assimilate like the Borg on Star Trek. I kind of like got what they were doing on from from you know the kind of creatures lick it up to to animalize you know what i mean so that bag you know that kind of thing i kind of wrote that and presented it to paul and desmond was there and i remember originally it, it also was another song that i think lyrically it wasn't i'm alive there was another title for it i have to find it on it i know i have a demo of it but, but it was called something different. But it was the same, you know, uh, melody basically was happening. But I think it was Desmond and him took a look at what they had, and then they realized, no, let's call it I'm Alive, you know, change the title. But that did, And that didn't affect me at all, because I wasn't really involved in any way with the lyrics. It was just the music. So I kind of, like, like set the pace for that. 
you know, and then, and then the rest of it was, you know, let's get riffy. And there it is, this up-tempo song, which, which was still a part of where they were at. But yes. that's not the, oh, oh, you know, that's not the majority of Asylum, as you've noticed, because the three singles that we wind up doing the videos for, Here's a Falling, Who Wants to Be Lonely, and uh, All Night, I, you know, as much as I love, you know, King of the Mountain and Trial by Fire and, and, and really the entire record, uh, those three songs are just stellar versions of what, especially where Paul was at in 85, because I really think he dialed that in, whatever that was about Kiss and rock and roll and that version of the band. So those songs are timeless, I think. Yeah, well, I've always been since day one partial to to Paul's stuff, and you know this record is no exception. I mean, there's so much great stuff. But Gene, the thing about it was the, the stuff Gene had on here, I liked a lot, and I thought was 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 really strong. And then you know for that vibe and that up tempo stuff, it's interesting because if you think about this record from the vinyl or cassette days, side one ends with "I'm Alive" and side two opens with "Love's a Deadly Weapon," both yes. tempo wise, very yeah. aggressive yeah. up tempo songs. Yeah. So that's that's an interesting thing to look at as well. So look, we could talk about the songs forever because I really do love the record. But in the time we have left, I want to transition to the tour for this record because that was yep. a bit interesting. And it only the, you only toured the U.S. for the album. And now I don't re, I don't think the band played the Garden on Animalize, but I know for Asylum you played the Garden because I went to it and I remember afterwards. Uh, there was a party, if I'm not mistaken, at the Playboy Club. I still have the invite somewhere in my right. scrapbook. So it was a pretty major thing for Kiss because the band, everyone knows, really was going through a rebuilding process throughout the 80s, starting with Lick It Up and starting to get sales and people to come back and get into yep. the bigger venues. So although I, I think it's safe to say Asylum the the attendance was hit or miss through a lot of the tour according to some things that i've read uh, the garden was really a big crowning moment to be able to come back and play that i would think and for you personally must have been an amazing thing very much i mean when people ask you know highlights of my entire career you know being a new yorker uh and seeing bands like like zeppelin and seeing hendrix at the garden you know for me to be on the stage at the garden absolutely and, and the few times that we did things like the Playboy Club or did a celebration, I remember after the Hot in the Shade tour, we went to, you know, you, know, you go to like some uh, club in the, in the garden, you know, there, there's places that you can go yes. and have a celebration. And, and, and that always meant a lot. But I, I and, and, you know, I know you touched upon, I can't really put my finger on why uh, the Asylum tour wasn't as well received as Animalized. Uh, we, we used to look at it sometimes as timing was, was that album cover an issue? I remember people talking about that back then. Now it's like pop icon. I see people ripping off that cover and turning it into like horror t-shirts and having fun with the colors and the faces. You get what I mean? Isn't that weird? What, yeah, you know, what, whether or not, what was you know. the deal with the cover? I'm sure you didn't have anything, you know, any say in that. Um, yes, it's, it's, it is looked at favorably now, but at the time, I remember it wasn't. Yeah. I, mean, I worked in a record store at the time, and I remember it coming in, and I, we opened the box, and we're like, what? What was the, do you have any insights on that? And I, I do. Are those actually and, and photos? Think, Did you actually, were those, are those painted on photos, or is that a painting from the get go? 
I believe that their actual faces that were then, you know, painted kind of or, or made to look like ghosty faces or whatever you want to call that. Because my there's nothing in the proportion of my face that's wrong. And I'm real good with that, you know. It was Paul's idea. I know that. I, I, I felt that Paul, you know, would look at the clothes that we were wearing. Oh, look at the clothes in the, the video. Over the top. And Paul being that, that guy who went to the New York, uh, the, the high school was the arts one. You know what I mean? You, you, you got to be really, look, this is why he's been very successful as a painter too. He saw an image of like, let's get artsy, I guess. You know, in a way that covers closer to Andy Wall than anything from rock and roll. You can't look at, Judas, you know, it's not a Judas Priest cover. We no. know that, right? Did he paint, Bruce, did he paint it? Now that you think about I don't it, does he, he paint it? But I do believe the direction of the lips would have the colors. I just read it on Wikipedia this morning, dude, that I was like, what do people say about Asylum? You know what I mean? And it came up that, and it, it only connected to me today that the four colors on the, you know, lips are actually uh, the same as the solo records, meaning, you know, I'm the guitar player, so I had the blue which would be ace, right? Paul being the purple, Gene the red, and Eric having the green. Isn't yeah, that weird? But they're yeah. still kind of an, they're not exactly the same colors as, as uh, you know, the kids' makeup years. How about the, the, the streaks of paint going across the cover, which is another, you know, iconic thing that gets ripped off from it. But meanwhile, the Asylum font is like uh, a stencil, like Cheap Trick uses or, you know, military. You know, it's, I, I think it's brilliant looking back at it now, but I swear to you, and you know, I was there. I think at the time there was some head scratching. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hurt us. Oh yeah. Did this hurt us? And I don't know, maybe Paul was way ahead of his time, but people have ripped it off now and use it. And it's so damn ad- identifiable and something that they've used in merchandise. Yeah, you see what I mean. Yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I, I, right. I remember, I remember that very clearly. Um, you know, getting it at the record store and people kind of looking at it, and saying, "Huh," you know, because you know, right. look, if you think about it, it had only been, a, it's only like what the third record of the band not even wearing yeah. makeup, and then right. you've got this sort of hybrid where it's painted on. Is it makeup? Is it not makeup? There's that going on too. Um, so yeah, that. So, but back to the tour. So. What I remember about the tour from a stage production standpoint, there were those sort of lightning bolt stairs on the side. Uh, Yeah. Talk about performing on that stage because it's not regarded as one of the classic kiss stages by any stretch. And also, interestingly, I've never really seen much pro shot video, even on the kissologies from the asylum tour. So, so talk about performing. And I I think the stage show even got pared down at one point because sales were getting a little soft. So what, what was talk about what was going on on the road? We got about five minutes left. Okay, it, it, it was an ambitious stage. Now, let's give credit to the biggest kiss sign that was ever used. That's true. Okay, okay. so that was the positive, and that, I think, survived. The uh, lightning bolt staircases in bright yellow, uh, super dangerous, okay? Uh, the floor actually had the cover or something like it originally, and I knew this from, I did a big expo in Stockholm years ago, not that long ago, in the last, five years, I think. And the people there are just, they love asylum and they, they knew all these details. I learned more that, that weekend in Stockholm 
uh, at that expo about asylum tour and asylum than I never ever did before. But the, we had to make some adjustments because the floor was slippery with, with, with the faces or whatever it was on the, on the bottom. And then there were too many of those lightning bolts. I think there might have even been like uh, another element of it. And they were really dangerous. I remember Eric Carr falling, nearly falling down the stairs. I think there's a video of that. Uh, he didn't actually fall down, but you could tell he missed a step. And it was just like, oh, my God. You know, so we, we made some changes. Some of it, I know, was to pair back. Uh, but also, that just some things just are, you know, maybe on paper they're good, but practically they're dangerous and don't work, okay? Um, I think the set, too, I think, like, like we, we were challenged by the reaction and we tried songs. Like you said, well, I think I heard King of the Mountain one time live, thank God, but then I didn't hear it again. But this was a problem with my entire career with them, that a new record would come out and they'd test the song or two, and if it didn't go over the way they wanted to, uh, we didn't do it again. You know what I mean, so that was uh, just something that Gene and Paul were, were pretty pretty guilty of, right or wrong. And it's up to them with their comfort level and what, what songs from the catalog they want to perform with. But, you know, I, I, I did really like, uh, you know, what we, what we were presenting and everything. But I, I do feel there was some slight disconnect with the fans or with the reaction compared to the huge growth and excitement with Animalize. Yet, this is the record we're talking about. This is the record I get more requests about. This is the record that people want to imitate. Um, uh, you know, and I've seen plenty of photos from this tour that are really impressive, but no video. And, and I think, well, Gene kind of was challenged with how he looked, and I think they didn't go out of their way to make some pro video of it. But um, there is some stuff out there, and I know a guy that uh, I'm trying to put something together to share that's going to look as good as it could look, if you get what I mean, if it's as if there was a pro video from Asylum, from, from various bootlegs. Right. And I'll probably share that when the tour started as an anniversary of the tour actually beginning, okay? But, yeah. Wow, I, I'll, tell you, I mean, I'll tell you, though, I, I've, I got like two minutes and I got to wrap, but mm-hmm. I, it, was, it, was it on that tour, and my memory serves me right, that you guys started doing... Won't, was it won't get fooled again? Did you do that? Yes. In the show? That used to make me crazy because although as much yep. as I love the Who, I'm like Kiss has mm-hmm. got 15 records. Why am I hearing a Who or a Zeppelin song? So as fun as it was, that was another thing that jumped out to me about that tour. Of that that. Well, what's interesting, we didn't always do it, but it was interesting that all three of them got to sing because I didn't come off as Mr. Lead Singer on stage. Right. I only did I Walk Alone, as you know. But I loved it. I thought it was pretty bold for Paul and I to do. And, and you kind of gave away something that I want to I want to be able to share in September when the tour started. But the point is, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting. The mixed reaction I get talking about won't get fooled again because it was in the set. Not every night, but it was in the set. And that is a little bit odd. I understand that with all the catalog we have. Yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you, it's um to me, it's a record that holds up tremendously well. I know a lot of people lean towards Revenge, which is also a huge record for you. But if, if you know, gun to my head, when I'm asked with the question of the, the best, uh, my favorite of the non-makeup mm-hmm. records, I gravitate towards this record because I just think it's where all the Kiss worlds sort of converged, where they got you in there. You you knew the, the drill. You had the, the best balance and the best approach to playing, I think, since Ace was in the band you were the best guy and i just think 
that material-wise, it just it all came together. And obviously, we can't not me- not mention this was the heyday of MTV, and this thing yeah. was so driven by MTV more so than radio. I mean, the tears are yeah. falling video on the request shows every day. I think that yep. was a big part of it, and this that was the sweet spot for MTV at that time too. Absolutely, and yours truly taking like a, a shower as if I'm like <laughs> mo- hair model or something in it. So, in conclusion, Eddie, look. The record I'm really proud of. The videos I think were all great, all three of those. And those songs are really important for my history. The tour, a little bit of a disappointment, but but overall, w- what Asylum represents for, for many of the non-Mayor Kiss fans is, is a, a huge, you know, it's just a huge highlight. So I'm so proud of it. Yeah, as you should be. It really is a, a great record, and uh, I still listen to it and enjoy it, and great. and bring, brings back great memories of our dear friend Eric Cartu's performance yep. is stellar on it, and uh, is I still miss like it was yesterday. Yep. So, um, and, and our friend Chris Jericho is pretty pretty obsessed with it too. I've, I've <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, Bruce. He's going to be delving into it. I think. Yeah, I'm yep. sure. <laughs> yep. National holiday today for Jericho. So, um, anyway, it's it's always great to talk to you. I mean, we could talk for hours and we will we're, yep. you know i'm going to get out to vegas where you're living soon and we're gonna sure. i want to do Absolutely. a whole show with you and it's always cool. great to have you on to share your stories Thank about you. what's a really important mm-hmm. period of kiss for a lot of people myself yep. included um best to your family bruce thanks and uh right. everybody thanks crank up asylum today 35 years later yes. enjoy well thanks to bruce kulik and of course earlier in the podcast ace freely by the way bruce and ace are together playing on a version of manic depression on Ace's new album. So that's interesting because you got a little talk of Ace talking about Bruce earlier, and they are together on a track on Ace's new album. And I thank them both for being on Trunk Nation on Sirius XM Volume, which is where those interviews originated, and of course, you guys getting to hear them now worldwide, totally free, on the Eddie Trunk podcast. Appreciate you guys listening. I really do. I hope if you're in the U.S. or Canada, you listen to me every day on Sirius XM Volume 106, live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, nightly replays 10 to midnight Eastern, and if you're looking for a video as a gift for you or someone you know, find me on Cameo. Go to Cameo.com, search my name. Happy to knock one out for you guys and uh, send it to whatever you need, whoever needs it. Merch, music news, and more on eddytrunk.com. Be sure to follow at Eddie Trunk on social media. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She is the producer of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I'll see you next Thursday for another new episode.